All right, well, we, the title of today's sermon is called Love is a Verb. That is a shout out. Is anyone in here a child of the 80s like Jamie Valentine? Okay, so some of you may have remembered a little group called DC Talk. Um, I had mad love for DC Talk, and they had a song that was entitled Love is a Verb. Um, They spelled it L-U-V because they're significantly cooler than I am. Um, But that is the heart behind, um, that is kind of where I got this title from, and it's going to be a running theme. You are going to hear me say this over and over again, and I might even ask you to repeat it with me. So the phrase, if you remember nothing else, the phrase is that love is a what? You already got it. See, we're already on on track here. Um, So we've been going through a series in John um, here at RCC, and last week Brittany preached about abiding in Christ. She preached on John 15 verses 1 to 11, but what, what that looks to abide in Christ and to trust him that as we're abiding in him, that fruit is a, comes out of our life. Um, this week we're looking in John chapter 15 um, verses 12 to 17, um, but we're looking at something a little, little bit different. So this is part of what the scholars call Jesus's farewell discourse. For the last few chapters in John, Jesus has been meeting with his disciples at the Last Supper, and at this point, there's 11 of them, 11 of his disciples, because Judas has already left, and Jesus has been having a meal with them. He has been sharing um, his final thoughts, because Jesus knows that he's heading to the cross, and while the disciples don't fully get that, fully understand it, Jesus knows what is ahead of them, and so he is giving them his final, his final um, plug of, this is what I need you to know before I leave this earth, um, So in this farewell discourse, as I was studying this, um, there's something very profound about someone's last words. I don't know if any of you have ever um, had to be in an environment where you were hearing someone's last words. I have only had this happen once in my life, um, and I remember it very well. It was um, quite a few years ago, and my dad was going in for a procedure um, for his heart, and it was very fragile, and his life was fragile. And there was a moment where the doctor's like, you might not make it out of this. And so he called us girls, there's three of us, he called us into the hospital room and he gave us his farewell discourse. He, he gave us his plug. It was, I love you girls, I'm proud of you. And then he gave us a charge, I need you to take care of your mother. That was my dad's farewell discourse. Um, little did he know that mom can take care of herself. She is, she's a hearty woman. But that was not the moment to say that. Like, dad, we got this. Um, but in that tender moment, in that farewell discourse, that was my father giving what was on his heart to someone, th- to these girls that he loved. That, that same idea, I want you to transpose onto this passage I'm about to read to you. This is Jesus sitting with 11 men that he loves. And he is giving him his fi- them his final charge. Here's what I need you to know from me who loves you. So we're going to read John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17 together. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So 
in, in this passage of John 15, last week we learned from Brittany that there's a relationship between us and Christ of remaining. We need to remain in Christ in order to bear fruit. This week in these, in these verses, there's um, a relationship that Jesus is pointing out, a re- relationship amongst the disciples, amongst believers, and it's a relationship of love. Um, and this is where I get the title, Love is a Verb. Um, the first thing in your notes, I, um, the point one, is that Jesus in these five verses gives a commandment to love others. A commandment to love others is given. Um, and as this commandment was given, one of the questions that kind of came to my mind is, can you really command someone to love you? Um, as a single girl, I wish that would be cu- true. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I command you. You're going to love me. Um, <laughs> can I get an amen for that? I need an amen on that one. Um, um, but the reality is we cannot command people to love us emotionally. That is impossible. It, it, it's just not possible. L- loving someone emotionally comes from a different spot, and it has to be their choice. So this commandment to love others is not a warm, fuzzy, I'm in love with you commandment. This is a commandment. It's an act of will. It's a choice. It's a commandment of action, not a commandment of the warm fuzzies. Um, in, this, in this commandment of, uh, of to love and a commandment of the act of the will, um, Jesus is, is telling the disciples in this moment, I need you to love each other. He's not talking necessarily about the world in that moment, although it doesn't exclude that. But he's talking to these 11 men. Remember, this is his farewell discourse. I need you. I need you to love each other. And we're going to kind of explore why, he, why he's commanding that of them. Um, John goes so far in, a, in, a, um, in later scripture to say that those who say that they love God and hate their brother, they're liars. Like, this is something that God's saying, I am commanding you. It's not an option. It's not if you want to, if you feel like it. It's I'm commanding you to love one another. Um, under this uh, commandment, the thing that's so interesting about it is this is not a, con- a new commandment to his followers. Um, the disciples that were there, they knew the Jewish law, which a lot of us know um, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, there was a commandment to love your neighbors as your what? As yourself, absolutely. Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.34 says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. But in this farewell discourse, this is actually the second time that Jesus commands them to love one another. And earlier on, he says it's a new commandment. So John chapter 13, in the very beginning of his farewell discourse to the disciples, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you would love one another just as I is love, just as I is love, oh my gosh, I'm going to buy a vowel and say that again. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the question begs, why is this a new commandment? If this has been been said from the very beginning that we need to love one another, why is Jesus referring to it as new? Um, And that leads me to point B. The reason why it was new to the disciples is because perfect love was given flesh for the disciples to see and experience. This love that Jesus is talking about has existed for all of eternity, but it was manifested in Jesus. 
Jesus took on flesh, walked the earth, and the disciples had been walking with him. They saw love in action. They saw Jesus loving people. They saw Jesus helping the sick, he, um, healing the sick, um, engaging with outcast women, having mercy on the poor, eating with the tax gatherers of the day. They saw love manifested on earth. So it is a new commandment because they saw it before their eyes so they know what he's talking about. Love, as Jesus displayed it, it was a verb. It was an action. Now, did Jesus love the people that he served emotionally to? Absolutely. But the love that he's talking about is the action of loving one another. Um, Jesus is commanding them to love each other um, because it is that very love of those disciples loving each other, it is what reveals to an unbelieving world that they are disciples of Jesus. That is how people know that you belong to Jesus, is because they would see the love between the disciples. That's, which leads me to point C. The disciple reveals the Father. The disciple is the one who is characterized by love. So Jesus is in this farewell discourse. He's commanding them, this is now the, the, in the second time he's commanded this. I need you to love each other because that love for each other is what's going to show others that you belong to me. That love that's in action, not in the warm fuzzies, that love that's lived out between you guys where you serve one another and treat one another with kindness and treat others as better than yourselves, that love is what reveals that, that you belong to the Father. Verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends we see this this theme uh, um, over and over in Jesus' farewell discourse the father loves us and when we love others we show we show the world that we belong to the father this is actually this is actually God's great missionary plan his great missionary plan of how the world is going to know that, th that his love exists is because they're going to see it played out amongst us as believers. If the world looks at us as believers and sees a love that's unlike anything else in the world, they're going to think, where does that love come from and how do I get it? That's how an unbelieving world knows that we belong to God. One of the commentaries I read put it this way. John is quite clear that this divine love in which the disciples are to share, is for the whole world. Indeed, their love for one another is part of God's missionary strategy. For such love is an essential part of the unity they are to share with one another and with God. It is by this oneness of the disciples and the Father and the Son that the world will believe that the Father sent the Son. Without this love, their message of what God has done in Christ would be hollow. I, um, that last line I had underlined, um, without their love, um, what the message of what God has done would be hollow. I have a woman I work with um, who has the phrase, God is love, plastered everywhere. It's on her laptop, it's in her classroom, it's, um, I think it actually might be a bumper sticker on her car. Um, but God is love, and if you, uh, you've talked to her, you'll say, how are you doing? And she'll say, I'm blessed because God, because God loves me. Um, this is said over and over again. However, she is by far one of the angriest, meanest, um, most unkind, selfish people on our campus. And I have to tell you, every time she says the phrase, God is love, it like, like pains my heart because in my head I'm like, 
oh, I don't want, I don't want other people here to think that's what God's love is. Like, your words are hollow to me because that's not representative. Your actions show no love. And so no one around is buying what you're selling. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure if I pass the mic, you all probably can know of someone whose, whose talk says, God is love, I love God, and they are mean and contentious and angry and unkind to one another. And so what's the point? Those words are hollow. In this, in this command, in, in, in Jesus here, in this farewell discourse, here's his 11 disciples, and he's telling them, my command to you is to love one another. He doesn't just stop there. He also, he also um, goes on to talk about friendship, which leads me to point two. Um, he tells the disciples that they have been chosen to be a friend of the king. He says in v- verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. This word friend is a little bit lost in our society because I don't know if, if you're like me, I'm kind of a little bit friend crazy, so I can like barely know someone. I'll be like, oh, that's my friend. Do you guys do that at all? Um, um, on Facebook, we have hundreds of friends, but let's be honest, we don't even really know half of them. Sometimes you're just like, sure, I'll be your friend. Um, but this word is kind of a little bit muted down. But in the context of this passage, when you've been chosen to be a friend of the king, um, in Greek, the f- word for friend is philos. It means someone dearly loved, prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant, held, held dear in a close bond of personal affection. For me, I refer to this phrase as my people. Do you guys all know what I mean? Like, like this is my person. You know what I mean? Like, I love this person. They are mine. Um, that is this phrase that Jesus is using. It's a very intimate, very loving way. Again, farewell discourse, right? Eleven disciples looking at him, and he loves them. And so he says, I've chosen you to be a friend of, you're a friend of mine. You are my friend. The disciples, again, they don't know what's coming, but what, they, but what they do know is I think they know that Jesus loves them. This is point A. It's a relationship. This friendship is a relationship that's built, um, that's based in love. Jesus, I can only imagine as he's giving this farewell discourse, knowing what's in front of him, knowing the cross is there, knowing that he's going to lay down his life in a grueling way because of his love, and he's telling the disciples this, I can just even imagine and be like, oh, if you only knew how deep my love is for you. You don't know it yet because you're not, you're not seeing what I'm about to do for you, but my love is so strong. You are a friend of the king. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. To encounter someone that gives up their life for you that kind of love, that kind of sacrifice, it merits a response. I mean, if someone just does a small favor for me, I feel like I, like, will basically offer my kidney for them. Like, oh my gosh, it's so great that you helped me out with this. Like, I don't feel worthy of this. Thank you so much. And here you have Jesus, who's literally about to lay down his life um, for, for the world, but for these men as well. And he's saying to them, I love you. This, this friendship that I have with you, it's based in love. But it's also a relationship that requires obedience. Until now, at this point in Scripture, there's only two men in the whole Bible who've been called friends of God. Do we know who they are? Who, who would be called friends of God? Moses. Who's other patriarch? Starts with an A. 
Abraham. So there's only been two men in the Bible that have been called friends of God, Moses and Abraham. Um, James 22 references Abraham being called um, a friend of God. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Um, the same in Exodus 33, 11, it says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Um, these two men were, were called friends of God and what characterized their lives um, as friends of God is that they were obedient and they were righteous. Not perfect. We know that there were some bumps along the way. But they were obedient and they were righteous. And, and because of that, um, God counted them as friends. So here's, the, here's kind of the critical point in, in a relationship that requires obedience. Is that obedience doesn't make the disciples his friends. It characterizes them as his friends. So let's talk about this. So... So if I go and say, hey, will you be my friend? And someone's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, obey me. That doesn't quite work between us as, <laughs> as humans. Do we agree with that? It's a little bit awkward. Um, it, so it feels like a, a little bit of an odd, as an odd response from Jesus. You are my friend if you obey what I say. However, that obeying is what characterizes them, is what sets them apart. So people look at them and say, they are a friend of Jesus because they obey him. Just like Kenny talks all the time about being, our pastor Kenny, about being a firefighter. If he kept telling everyone, I'm a firefighter, I'm a firefighter, but we never saw him on the red truck going out and fight fires, would you, would you think he's a firefighter? You probably would not. Because what characterizes the firefighter is they get on the red truck and they go out and fight fires, right? So this obedience, it's not a legalistic, you are my friend, obey me. That is not the heart behind it. What it's saying is that when you obey me, you show the world that you are my friend. That's what characterizes the friends of God, is that they obey him. The same is true for us. Obedience to God by loving one another doesn't make us his friends. That actual act of obedience isn't what makes us his friends. It characterizes at us as his friends. It shows an unbelieving world when we love each other in action. It shows the world that we are friends of, of God. We reveal the master. And this, this relationship, it's not, again, it's not a normal friendship because it's not reciprocal. It's not God is a friend of mine if he obeys me. God forbid. That is not what it, what it is at all. It's a one-way ticket. It's I am his friend when I obey him because it shows who I belong to. It shows who my friend is. It wasn't that long ago, so there's these 11 men. I feel like some of them, uh, it wasn't that long ago that they were kind of arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest. Do you remember that scene? They're like walking and they're like, well, I think I'm pretty good. Who do you think is the greatest of all amongst the disciples? And I love in this moment as Jesus is giving his farewell discourse, his final, his final plea to the disciples, it's the sense that he leveled the playing field. You all are my friends. Not one of you is greater than the other. That must have felt like quite a rebuke to those I maybe would have cowered a little bit if I would have been one of the ones arguing about who was greatest, um, who was the greatest of the disciples. First John chapter 2, verses 4 to 6 says, Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
The other part that's so amazing about this, this um, statement is um, point C. A this is a relationship, this friendship that Jesus is referring to is a relationship that's not of our doing. In John 15 here, in verses 15 and 16, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. If obedience is a criteria to be a friend of, of Jesus, wouldn't that make us servants? That's what servants do, right? Servants obey. And so Jesus being such a graceful teacher, and Lord, in that moment, knew, knew exactly what the hierarchy of that day would have said. So the hierarchy of that day, if someone would have heard him say, you're my friend if you obey me, they would have been like, well, then we're basically just servants. So Jesus speaks to that and calls them out. And he says, no, sir, you're not a servant, because a servant doesn't know what his master is, is doing. But I have revealed everything to you from the Father, so you are my friend, you are not my servant. He spoke into that, almost that criticism that could have been there, saying, obedience does not make you my servant you are my friend still because i am revealing to you everything that the father has made known to me he is basically telling these men you are in my inner circle you are my friends this is it i have revealed it to you and you need to love each other so that the world will know that you are mine and you are my friends that obedience to love each other that action of loving each other is what's going to set you apart as my friends And then in, in, um, in just a few short sentences from there, Jesus is going to end with the exact same commandment. He ends in verse 17 by saying, these things I command you so that you will love one another. I um, am a teacher by trade, a math teacher. Um, and one of, this is such a teacher trick, but we say the thing that's most important multiple times, right? So, you know, this week starts school, and I'm outside, and I have my, my instructions on the board, and so I meet the kids outside, and I say, okay, good morning, happy first day, the instructions for you are on the board, you need to come in, blah, 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 and then I say, where are the instructions? And the kids yell, on the board, and they think, Ms. Valentine, you're really lame, because I just already heard you say that, but the reality is, they didn't always hear it. You have to say it multiple times, yes? Okay. I'm sure this is probably true as parents, but I am not a parent, so I can't speak to that. But the things that are important, you say over and over again. And so in these chapters of this farewell discourse of Jesus talking to these men who he loves and is giving them his final plea, his final battle cry of, this is what I need you to know before I, I leave this earth. He's telling them over and over again, this command is that you do what? You love one another. This is my command. You love one another. I almost wonder if the disciples were like, all right, Jesus, we get it. We get it. We want you to love. We, you want us to love each other. But this, this love that he's talking about, because it's a, an action, a choice, a, a decision of the will to choose to love one another and treat them as better as yourself, it's, it's a love that is a verb. It's not the warm, fuzzy love. So this leads us to a call to action, which is point number three. In these five verses, some, some of the um, theologians that I read said that these five verses are kind of the pinnacle of his farewell discourse. This is it right here. This is the heart behind what Jesus is trying to communicate to these 11 men before he, he walks to the cross. 
Um, our first call to action is point A, our lives have to look different. They have to. Love is a verb. We have to love others with our actions. That is the plan of the Father. We love, others see our love, others want to know that love, and so they come to the saving grace of Jesus. That is it right there. That's the plan. If our lives don't look different, then what separates us um, from the world that hates one another? If we in the church, as we as disciples of Jesus, if we don't have love for each other, then how are we going to go out to a world and tell, it, tell them that, that God loves them? Our world, words will be hollow. They'll be empty. Our lives have to look different. Um, as in John 15, 16, he reminds them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This, this phrase of him choosing us, this is what I, I love about this phrase of, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Um, I don't know if you've ever been chosen to be a friend of someone, but there is safety in that, right? If someone comes up to me and says, I'm going to choose you to be my friend, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I did nothing to deserve this. Like, they just want it. And so because of that, I don't have to fear them leaving me because they chose me first, you know? There's such safety in that. Um, and so here's the moment that you're all going to dread a little bit, and I'm going to fly my nerd flag for a minute. But I had to get a little equation in here to make the sermon feel like, <laughs> like it was mine. I know, I know. I know, yeah. Um, so here we go. So here's the math equation that I have gotten in here about our lives looking different. Are you ready for it? Go with it. Here we go. Genuine love for God equals genuine love for his son, Jesus. Amen? Okay. Genuine love for Jesus equals obedience to him. Amen? Thank you for that. Obedience to him equals loving others. So by the transitive property... Hashtag, yes, I just did that. By the transitive property, thank you, geometry, genuine love for God equals loving others. If we love God, then we will love others. I am going to be so bold as to make a statement now. As I have been scouring this this week, and the Lord has been doing a number on Jamie Valentine's heart, I, I feel confident in saying that if I or we have an obedience issue, we actually have a love issue. I know it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? But I, as I have been examining my own heart and my soul, and there are many areas that obedience is, I'm struggling in obedience. The issue in those areas is I really laid it before God. It's not an obedience issue. It's a love issue. I love me in those areas more than I love my Savior. And because of that, the obedience isn't following. I'm not abiding. And so the fruit can't come out of it. Um, I'm going to invite the worship team um, back up as I finish these last two points. Um, point B, uh, as, in, as part of our call to action, is connected to what Brittany talked about last week. We always need to stay connected to the vine. In this idea that if we have an obedience issue, we have a love issue, there is just a reality that we cannot love others well if we are not abiding in Christ. There is no way, because it is hard to love people. It's easy to love people that we have the warm fuzzies for. 
I, I mean, there are so many people that I emotionally love, and it is easy to love them in action as well. However, it is not as easy to love people that annoy you, that frustrate you, that people at work that just feel like they undermine you or go out of their way to push you down. You know who those people are. Um, it is not easy to love them. It's not easy sometimes to love our family when we're frustrated. It's not easy to be unselfish. I want to be selfish all the time. It's not easy. And so if we're not connected to the source of where true love comes from, if we're not connected to that vine, we have no hope of loving others. That is our hope. Is we need to stay connected to the source of where true love comes from. And point C in our call to action is that without love, we have absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. How are we doing at loving others? How are we doing at serving others? Is our love a verb, or do we just love those that we have the warm fuzzies for? I don't know another word for that. The emotional love. I keep saying warm fuzzy, but you, got, you know my point, right? The, the emotional love. How are we doing at the action love? The love is the verb part. The part where someone says something rude to me, and I don't respond rudely. The part where my sister asks to, to use something of mine, and I say, okay, I'll let you, even though I just secretly don't want a letter. It's not true, Stacey. I, I want you to borrow anything you want. Um, <laughs> it, was just for, it was just for the point. Um, how are we doing at loving others when someone asks me to do something that's out of my way or not on my time frame or involves putting my, just what I want to do down, and I say, okay, how are we doing that in our marriages? How are we loving one another in action, not just in emotion? How are we doing that here at church in our community groups and in our ministries and in setup and in, in children's ministry? How are we loving each other in action? How are we laying down our rights for our friends? 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter, um, it starts off, and it's so powerful it speaks for itself. So I don't need to even add to, I don't need to add to it at all. The word of God speaks for itself. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Our love for one another is what reveals that we belong to the Father. This is how people come to know the Father that we love, is by our love for each other. So, uh, we're going to end this time, and I just want you to visualize with me, again, Jesus in these final moments, this discourse, which I feel is as intimate as it was in that hospital room with my dad and my sisters, when he's saying, I love you, I am proud of you, but I have a charge for you, take care of your mother. This is Jesus here with these 11 men, and he's saying, I love you, you are my friends, but I'm telling you, the way that people will know you're my friends is if you love each other. Love each other. This is my command. I'm saying it over and over again because I need you guys to understand. I love you. This is Jesus' heart. Because after all, love is a what? Love is a verb. 
we're going to go ahead and enter into a time of response worship. So in, in, this, in this next uh, song that the worship team sings for us, will you just search your heart before God as I will?